I want you to turn over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. A lot of people this time of year will sit down and get a bowl of popcorn out and break out the Passion of the Christ and watch that movie. And uh, you remember as that was uh, came out several years ago and there was a big... Uh, a lot of controversy around it, but it, it depicted the physical um, suffering of our Lord. And uh, it stopped right about there. You left the movie kind of touched, moved emotionally, but with really no answers at all. And um, tonight I want to read out of Romans chapter 5, and I'm going to begin in verse 1. And then we're going to look at verses 6 to 11 just uh, briefly before our communion time. Uh, Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we also have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have, been, have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. I want to talk to you just a little briefly about what the death of Christ accomplished. Um. You know, there's a lot of people that died on a cross, even back in Jesus' time. There's a lot of people that went through the torturous physical suffering that Christ went through. That's what the Romans were perfect at. They were educated in, in, in making people suffer through their executions. That's why they used crucifixion, because it was the most heinous execution physically that you could produce. You got the most pain the most suffering for the buck. And that's what they were told to do. They were told to make a lot of the people who were crucified suffer. They weren't just to kill them. If they were just to kill them, they would have just cut their head off. No, they wanted them to suffer, and they wanted people to see them suffering. As an example of anyone who would cross the Roman government, and here's what would happen to you. Well, tonight I want us to look at the... Just the topic briefly is simply the believer is preserved by 
God. The believer is preserved by God. And when we see here that in Romans, Paul here is talking about the sacrifice of Christ. He's talking about the death of Christ. He's talking about the idea that that God would do such a thing as send his own son to earth to take on a human body and then to have that human body go through such torturous suffering. And he wanted the Romans to know that this is what true love looks like. He wanted them to understand how much God loved them. Paul reminds us that this sacrifice of Christ was really the greatest um, display, you might say, of God's love in all of history, even though it's hard to watch. If you've ever watched the movie, it's, it's hard. It moves you emotionally to see someone, anyone, but to think that our own Lord and Savior went through what he went through on the cross, and he did it for us. Three quick points I want to talk about first when Christ did this. When Christ did this. When did he die on the cross? You say, well, thousands of years ago. I know that. But our text gives us a little broader uh, light to look upon as we look into this. Because it tells us in verse 6, For while we were yet still, what? Weak sinners. All right? At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Some translations read, while we were still helpless or hopeless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While men were utterly helpless, the the text says, to bring themselves to God, that's when Christ died. Do you know that you can't bring yourself to God? (laughs) You can't generate your own faith. You can't generate a relationship with God. You can't generate forgiveness. You have to go to God for that. And it tells us here that at the right time, Christ died for those in need. And he died for us. He died for those who are stained with sin. We are completely ungodly, the Bible says. Our hearts are wretched. They're desperately evil. Um, We're completely unworthy of anything from God. And Satan has kind of tricked us into believing that somehow, oh, well, God owes us something. God doesn't owe us anything. God owes us his wrath. God owes us punishment and hell for all eternity. That's what he owes us. That's what we should justly be paid because of our sin. And when we were powerless in and of ourselves to escape our sin, powerless to escape that death sentence, powerless to resist Satan, and powerless to please God in any way. Do you know the Bible tells us that our good works outside of Christ are like filthy rags before a holy God? They don't mean a thing to him. And we live in a world where we think so many times, if you come to church and you punch the little you know, clock and say, hey, I did my service, I went to church... Um, somehow God's going to like us more. There's a lot of people this time of year that are just coming out of their season of Lent. 
And what they do for a period of several weeks is they deprive themselves of something. As a young Catholic child, I was always uh, moved to give up candy. So I would always give up sweets, which was, you know, if you know me, that's a major thing. That was hard. That was difficult. That was a sacrifice. And I thought, boy, somehow God is pleased by me giving up this, this candy. And once in a while when I'd slip up and sneak one, you know, because I think, I think in our church you were allowed to eat it on Sunday. Sunday was like a little break. But then, you know, it was, just, it was kind of an odd thing. It just kind of developed over the years. And so, you know, once in a while you'd mess up and, and slip a piece of candy in there during Lent. And you're thinking, oh, man, this is going to upset God. It's so silly. So ridiculous. And yet, so many people are practicing that belief. They think because of their good work, somehow God is looking down on them and going, oh, boy, you're, you're doing so well. You provide so well for your family. You're such a good guy. You're honest. You're hardworking. That, that means a lot to me. Brother, sisters, in the end, all that's going to matter is what you do with Christ. What you do with his son. It's not going to matter how many homeless you feed. It's not going to matter how many helpless you help. It doesn't matter. All that matters is what you're doing with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because at the right time, the Bible says that he died for you. He died in your place. And it says there in the text, it says, Scarcely... For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. I mean, when you stop and you think about it, you know, if you had somebody who was totally righteous, you could say, well, maybe, you know, he deserves my, my death in, on his behalf. But Christ didn't die for good people. He died for sinners like you and me. And he died at the exact proper time. The Bible says that he didn't, he was not killed. He what? He gave up his life. He sacrificed his life. At the appropriate time, he surrendered his life to die on that cross. We think sometimes that his love for us is dependent on how good we are. Or how much we love him. I want to read a quote by Charles Hodge, who's a theologian, speaking of this text in Romans. He says this, If God loved us because we loved him, he would love us only so long as we love him. And on that condition, and then our salvation would depend on the constancy of our treacherous heart. But as God loved us as sinners... As Christ died for us as ungodly, our salvation depends, as the Apostle argues, not on our loveliness, but on the constancy of the love of God. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm thank God for that. Thank God it doesn't depend on how much we love God. Even though, you know, we can try all we want, our love falls far short of what's needed to save us. And he says there that we, we, he died at the right time. He died for us on a cross. And you know the, the nature of death on a cross. I'm not going to go into all the grisly details. We've, 
We've gone over that before. But it's good to read it in Scripture and be reminded that this was not a picnic in the park for Jesus. This was a tough day. This was, this was he just had a rough week. And even though he was going to be raised on the third day, physically, everything that they did to him that day, on that Friday as he was being crucified, he felt as a human being. And so we need to be reminded of that. Well, that's what he did. Why, why did he do it? Why did he do it? It tells us there in verse 7 and 8. It says, but God shows his love for us. In that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Why did he do it? Because he loves us. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that way. He wants us to know that, you know what? His love reaches down and it plucks us out of hell. He wants us to know how much he loved us. That's why he gave his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in the fashion in which he did. A lot of people today think that God's this angry man upstairs and got a big hammer, and every time you, you, know, you try to have a little fun, he's ready to squash out your, your good times. That's not the God we serve. Matter of fact, at the end of our text here, it talks in verse 11, it says, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian and you're walking around like this all the time, woe is me, you know, just suffering for Jesus, you've got a problem. There's something wrong. You, you don't understand from which you've been saved. We need to understand that, you know what, God expects us to be joyful. Yeah, we suffer for him, but we do it with joy in our hearts. Understanding the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. And he did so because he loves us. Continues to love us. Will love us through all eternity. That's a not just a you know, kind of a frivolous love that we share here on earth. That's a love that redeems our hearts, redeems our wicked souls. And God not only loves those who put their faith and trust in him, but the Bible says that that God loves us even while we were yet sinners. Isn't that interesting? You don't have to clean yourself up before you get to be touched by the loving hand of God. That's not the way it works. He says, no, I didn't, I didn't expect anything from you. I loved you while you were still dirty, while you were still sinners. So many times we in the church forget that. We begin to judge people who are not believers, thinking, oh, they're not Christians. You know, We shouldn't have anything to do with them. God loves those people. He loves them so much that he he made a way of salvation for them by giving his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget, we're left here to be the salt and the light of the world. We're here to, to express the love of Christ and that forgiveness that we experience to a lost and dying world. Because we've been touched by his love. Do you know that only at death does an unbeliever cease to be loved by God? After that, he's under the judgment of God, under his wrath. You don't want to go into an eternity, beloved, not knowing Christ. You don't want to go into an eternity only to be faced 
with the eternal judgment and wrath of God as your lot. So God sent his son to give us a way out of that, to give us a way to have our sins forgiven so that we could one day be in eternity with him in glory forever. In Christ, we're forever linked to God's love. It never breaks. It's demonstrated in so many different ways. Look at what it says here in verse 9. It says, Since there, for we have now been justified by His blood. We've been justified by His blood. So important that you understand what it means there, that we've already been justified. Not that we're being justified. It's already a done deal. In Christ, our sins are forgiven. The judge has lowered the hammer and said, not guilty, because Christ paid for your sin. The next time Satan comes along and whispers in your, your ear, well, you're just not good enough, or, oh, what about that time you slipped up the other day? You know, oh, I don't think God loves you anymore. Don't believe it. That's a lie. God has forgiven your sins in Christ. If you've come into Christ and you've repented of your sins, God's granted you repentance and you've turned to him from your sin and you've put your trust and faith in a loving Savior and his work on Calvary, you're forgiven. You're a new creature in Christ, the Bible says. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul is saying here that We can be assured that we're saved from the wrath of God through Christ. Since we've been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Then he says in verse 10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, By the death of his son, much more, now that we have been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. What did Christ do? He died on the cross. Why did he do it? Because he loves us. When did he do it? When we were yet still sinners. We were still in our sin. And yet, we're told in this text that we've been reconciled. That word reconciled means to be brought back to union together. When a marriage is reconciled, it's someone who's maybe gone through a separation process or even a divorce process, and that marriage is reconciled, is brought back together. It's healed. Our relationship with God was tainted by sin. By Adam and Eve, by our own. And so our relationship with God was broken. It was severed. And the only way that that could be reconciled and reunited is through the sacrifice of something that was perfect. The last time I checked, Jesus was the only one who meets that standard. There's a lot of people in a lot of different world religions that are sacrificing every day, thinking somehow they're getting favor from God. And that's just not true. The only thing that would earn favor from God is a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus met that. Jesus lived here for 30-some years on this earth. And it said, even though he was tempted in all ways as we are, in his human body, he still did not sin. 
He was perfect. He was spotless. He was sinless. And so when he died on the cross for you and I, it meant so much more than all these other people who were dying all around him. I mean, he was crucified right between two thieves. They couldn't save anybody from their sins. They couldn't even save themselves. Luckily, one of them put their faith and trust in Christ. But the other one is spending an eternity under the wrath of God. As part of of Christ's sacrifice on Calvary, He delivered us from the wrath to come. We don't have to worry about that. We're no longer, Ephesians 2, 3 says, children of wrath. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says, As part of Christ's atoning work, His dying on the cross, Jesus delivered us from the wrath to come. See, because at the cross, you have to understand, Jesus took upon Himself the penalty, and He suffered the wrath from God, His own Father, that we deserve. He took it upon Himself. He became sin for us, the Bible says. So when you stop and you think of the work that was done on that Friday thousands of years ago by Jesus, don't forget that's the means of your salvation, but it's also what keeps you saved. You don't have to do anything more. God has saved you. Then it's by His gracious act, His gracious love, that, that, that that's secured. That's what I never understand when people believe that somehow you can lose your salvation once you possess it. Silly. I think if you think that you can lose your salvation, you don't have it because you don't understand what it is. You don't understand what Christ went through to purchase it. Pray that that is an encouragement to you as believers. That our, our salvation isn't in the scales anymore. We're declared righteous. We're justified. The whole point here is, if, if God's grace covers the sins even of his enemies, how much more does it cover the sins of his own children? Every blessing that a Christian has in their life comes from Jesus Christ, comes from their relationship through Christ. Just in, here in, in the verses we read in verse 1, it says that through Christ we have what? We have peace with God. Verse 2, it talks about grace and the hope of glory. Verse 3 and 4, it talks about perseverance, proven character and hope. Verse 5, it talks about how God's love has been shed abroad in our hearts who's a gift to us through the Savior. 6 and 8 tells us how we're delivered from sin by His atoning death. Verse 9 says that we're delivered from God's wrath. Verse 10 in the first part says that we're reconciled with God the Father. And then at the end there, it talks about being preserved even in this present life. See, and that's where this joy comes from that He talks about in verse 11. 
More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's why in the Old Testament in Psalms, David can declare, Oh, magnify the Lord. Exalt the Lord. Let his name be exalted together. For our hearts rejoice in him because we trust in his holy name. He also writes, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and upon the lyre I shall praise thee, O God my God. We need to be reminded that our salvation is something that should bring us joy. Even on a somber day like Today, Good Friday, there's a lot of people down in Mexico on this day that literally are carrying crosses and they're crawling on their hands and knees miles and getting themselves all bloody and they're being scourged and, you know, they're, they're thinking somehow that they're, they're paying for their, their sins. They're doing what Christ did. The last time I checked, beloved, when Jesus hung on the cross, his last words were what? It's finished. It's over. That's why we don't have an altar here. We don't celebrate Mass because we don't believe in sacrificing Jesus over and over and over as some churches do. That's an insult to what was done. He himself said it's done. It's complete. We don't need to continue to sacrifice. When we come to communion time, this is a symbol of his sacrifice. This is just a cracker and and a cup of grape juice to remind us of the bread the bread is to remind us of his body. The, the blood is, to, or the grape juice is to remind us of his blood. Reminded of a hymn by Charles Wesley. The stanza says, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold, your Savior come, and leap, you lame for joy. God wants us to understand what happened, not just what Jesus went through, not just the physical part, but there was a whole spiritual element to his suffering that we don't even have time to go into. But so you say, well, you know, all this suffering, Jesus is going through all this suffering, and why is it called Good Friday? It's good because he died. If Jesus wouldn't have died, beloved, we wouldn't have salvation. Our sins could not have been paid for. That's why it's called Good Good Friday, even though it was horrendous what he experienced. I pray that you have personally Come to understand what it means to put your faith, your trust in a loving Savior who died in your place for the payment and penalty of your sin. You know, if it's kind of like this. If I if I told you, hey, I'm going to give you a thousand dollars and it's in the bank, Wells Fargo, downtown Redwood City, you just got to walk in and and tell the guy your name and take it. And he'll hand you a thousand dollars. You can sit there and say, well, I don't believe you. All right. Don't go get it then. Or you can say, hey, oh, thanks a lot. 
And you can get busy doing something else and just don't go pick it up. See, a lot of people hear the, the gospel message, but they never, they never connect with it personally. And that's something that God has to do. God has to draw you to himself. God has to show you that you need a Savior. This isn't just a little ritual you go through, pray a prayer, raise a hand, and now you're a Christian. That's not what it's about. It's about God working in your heart. And once you understand that all eternity lies before you, and in your sinful state, you will be condemned to a place called hell that is it's, it's the most horrible place you could ever dream of. Times ten, times a hundred, times a thousand. And that's where people will go who do not have that reconciliation to God through Christ. So when you understand that and you understand your own sinfulness, you should be before God pleading him to save you. He doesn't owe that to you. But you should be asking him, begging him, God, save my wretched heart, save my sinful soul. Show me the way of salvation. Ask God for forgiveness. Ask God to give you wisdom to help you understand the scriptures if you don't know him. Ask him to, to draw you to himself. He will do that if it comes out of a sincere broken heart. Father, we thank you for our time here tonight. And Lord, we pray that as we experience our communion time, just individually or families or however you want to do it, Lord, I, just, I pray that each one would understand what this means coming to this table. It doesn't make you holy to do this. Um, that can only come through the blood of Christ, through a relationship with him. This isn't a religious thing we're doing here tonight. It's something that we do as believers, as Christians, We come to this table because we want to remind ourselves of the suffering and the payment that was paid on our behalf. And so, Lord, as people ponder these words, Father, it's never too late to cry out to you, Lord, save me a sinner. Be merciful to me a sinner. I want to be saved by your son, by his work on Calvary. He'll answer that prayer. You cry out to him even now. And for us believers... The Bible does warn that we come to this table with pure hearts. There's something that's dishonoring to the Lord. And maybe there's something that we need to take care of. We have business with God. There's, there's time to do that. You just sit there quietly and you, you deal with your God and whatever is in your life at this time. And you thank Him for His forgiveness. But we're told and warned not to come to this table um, prematurely or without proper motives. And so, Father, I pray tonight that you would just bless our time of communion. And uh, we pray that you would make it personal, Lord. That you would just reveal yourself to us in a fresh way. That we would walk out of this place here tonight knowing that we are secure in Christ once we put our faith and trust in you. We ask you to bless our time of communion in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.